Hey, I'm Pliny and you're listening to the broadcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And uh, today, yeah, we have another call from down under, half uh, half across the globe, so to speak, with Pliny. And uh, you have a new album coming out on Friday, November 27th, Impulse Voices, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> It is your second full-length album only, despite you being... Uh, publishing recording artist for probably eight years now. Um, I always find it uh, interesting to 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 look at um, yeah artists releasing albums or EPs. In your case, it was uh, yeah you got some four EPs and now the second full length album. Is there a difference in approaching? Um, albums or EPs when you write and record them or does it just happen to end up the way they end up? <laughs> um, I find with instrumental music, at least for me, I find it really hard to make it interesting because um, I love music with vocals and so I've kind of screwed myself over by choosing to make instrumental music. Um, <laughs> okay. So an EP is kind of perfect because if you make three or four songs they can all be quite different um just in instrumentation or length or feeling but i find that once i start trying to write a fifth sixth seventh song <clears throat> they become quite something starts to become quite similar um and so that's why it takes me so long to write an album because i've got to figure out how can i make eight songs that are all or sort of totally different um, and even though I've tried to do that, I think four of the songs on the album are between four minutes and nine seconds and four minutes and 11 seconds long. So obviously there's something that I like to repeat um, in length. Yeah. Looking at Impulse Voices or the, the, yeah, the, the history of the album, how, how you, uh, pr uh, how you conceived it or yeah, how it came to be, um, This was obviously a little bit different uh, than before as you did the majority of the work earlier this year when, yeah, when the world changed. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about the, the writing and recording process and, and how it was different to before? Yeah, um, so around the beginning of the year... I decided I was going to record an album uh, and I had a lot of the ideas already together um, in like a 30 second or one minute demo. Um, so I started working on each one of them just a little bit every day with the plan to finish it all around June and then come to Europe in July to play a couple of festivals and then tour for the rest of the year. And then that all got canceled around March. Um, And then suddenly I had all this time to record and I took so much longer than I originally uh, gave myself. Like, I think it was 
it took until May until I'd finished a second song. Uh, so I planned to send pretty finished demos to my drummer, Chris, to start learning and writing drum parts around March or April. And I'd only sent him one song around then and then ended up finishing it in probably August when we recorded the drums. So I took at least twice as long as I planned to expand the demos into full songs. Um, but it was really fun. And I think the sort of bad thing about it is now next time I write an album, I'm probably going to have to take two years or something. <laughs> now that you got used to it. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, your uh, drummer. Uh, that's um, Chris, right? Yeah, Chris Allison. Yeah. Um, who else is on the album apart from you and Chris? Uh, on bass is Simon Grove. He also mixed it. Um, he's been playing bass with me since the first show I ever played um, and been mixing my stuff for the last couple of releases. And then a whole bunch of guests. Uh, there's a couple of singers, a harp player, a saxophone player, and a keyboard player. That makes quite a for 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 some variety uh, that you were aiming for or hoping for <laughs> for for the full length album, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I've made so many amazing guitarist friends, um, but when it comes to solos, I think I just want to get. Or it comes to like filling in space. If there's space in a song, I just want to get something that sounds nothing like anything I could do. Um, so that's. It's great, especially to get a harp solo. I think that's my favorite thing that I've ever done. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, one thing that that I find very interesting with, with your kind of music, with your sound particularly, I mean, you, you came into the scene um, at the beginning of the last decade, so to speak. And up until that point, I think a lot of, prog metal was still kind of you know so serious and pretentious and 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 i don't know how to put it but you're the the, the music or the mood of your music often has some some lightness or lightheartedness in a in a beautiful way uh that i don't think i've encountered in in any older music or, or at least not that dominant um so yeah it's it's quite clear that you uh incorporate a lot of uh different influences outside of the prog metal world obviously so um yeah wh where where do you do you, do you get your musical influences from that form the the pliny sound um, well, I guess it started out with prog metal. Like, I probably wouldn't have ever recorded music if not for Dream Theater. Um, I just really wanted to basically be my own form of Dream Theater. Um, and then over the years, I've started listening to more different kinds of music, more sort of jazz fusion and electronic music and pop and like pop rock. Um, and just found all these different things in these different genres that I really like, like different production tricks or sounds or song structures and tried to uh, incorporate as many of them as I can 
uh, once I have an idea. So once I have a like a 30 second or one minute little demo of an idea that maybe when I was a few years ago, I would have tried to turn into a dream theater song. Now I want to turn it into like a four minute pop song that is in an on time signature with a like jazz fusion guitar tone and electronic synths or something like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, opposed to this this lightness, I also find it quite interesting that, of course, there's there's still some heaviness in your music, but um, looking at the second single, for instance, Papilillo, um, the the ending section is quite epic and also also quite heavy. Would you consider um, like the the, the guitar? distortion as in metally um more important than the than the chords to to make a part heavy or do they they the two components work together um how, how do you make it sound heavy without sounding overburdening heavy <laughs> um yeah i think it's a bit of both that um uh, that song in particular i think probably inspired by touring with Tesseract. Um, I toured with them all over the world and they have so many enormous riffs kind of like that. Um, and then I guess I put my own spin on it. And then in terms of the tone, um, I like to try different things. So for that, it's, it's quite a thick sound. Um, which is a, an octave fuzz into an amp. And Simon, who mixed it, did a bunch of crazy stuff to get that tone. Um, but I think also because I'm so cheerful, uh, some of the evil has to come from the tone because it's not going to come from me otherwise. <laughs> well, I, I, I had uh, a little bit, uh, especially talking about that part, I had... Um, Yeah, my experience was was a little bit the opposite because I, I thought um, the 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 tone in itself is not the most evil tone, so to speak. But you, you managed to bring these nice chords that make make it sound more evil. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as there's some evil in there somewhere, that's what matters. <laughs> All right. Um, Yeah, you, you you just mentioned some some studio tricks and and and, and magic um, for the gear nerds out there. Would you mind uh, giving a, giving a quick rundown of your setup for this album, for your main setup, basically what what you used in terms of guitars and yeah, and uh, maybe also um, um, yeah programs and yeah. Yeah, for the for almost all the guitars, it's my signature Strandberg guitar and signature Neural DSP plugin. So it's totally digital um, amp simulation. Um, so almost all the lead guitars and clean guitars are just using that uh, piece of software, and then the rhythms are using a few of Simon's different amps. I think a 5150 and a Marshall JCM 800. I'm not sure, but I think that was the one. Um, the rest of the sounds that I did, so the synths and those sorts of extra layers, are mostly just uh, stuff that you find in Logic, which is just the like main Apple recording software. 
um, and then a few orchestral bits from a company called Spitfire Audio. Um, the drums we recorded in a studio in Sydney, uh, about one song a day, which is quite relaxed because I think a lot of bands probably record an album on drums for like three or four days. Um, and that's the way it sounds is, again, just down to how good Simon is at mixing and how good Chris is at playing drums. Um, and that's pretty much it. It was basically my computer in my bedroom and Simon's computer in his studio. <laughs> your, your computer in your bedroom as has been for since since you started all this, right? <laughs> yeah, it's still the same computer. I'm looking at upgrading it, but really? I kind of want to just hang on to it until it catches fire and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, we, we we already talked about uh, you being in in the game already for for some years, for some eight years or so, and pretty early on, you've been kind of heralded an in, inventor of the genre and uh, yeah, the, the future of, of guitar music or yeah, proggy guitar music, whatever. By uh, alongside Aaron Marshall or David Maximicic or Tusin Abassi, um, by all critics, fans, and peers. Um, does that put any pressure on you or do you just say, I don't care, I, I write music, uh, well, whatever I want? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's probably is some pressure. There's a lot of pressure from me to make sure I think it's good, um, to make sure it's something that excites me. And so far, if I follow something that I think is creative and interesting, it seems that my audience will usually agree. Um, maybe a few people won't agree, but people come and go. Um, so I've, my philosophy is that when I started writing music, I was doing it for fun and people happen to like it. So if I keep writing music for fun, then maybe people will keep happening to like it. And so I shouldn't change that aspect. Um, so I try and keep uh, the pressure like sort of as far back in my mind as possible. Um, Because at least if I spent a lot of time making music that I had fun making and no one likes it, it would be like an interesting ball of flames to go down in. <laughs> um, yeah, so when when you started writing, try, trying to write Dream Theater music in your bedroom, like, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or so, did you ever imagine that it would lead you to travel the world with it and yeah do big tours and festivals and all all that stuff not at all um yeah not one single bit um the i mean i've watched like every single dream theater live dvd as well and that was a huge inspiration like this is something that i'd love to do someday but i never thought that I actually would get to um And then since the first opportunity to play live ever came up and pretty much everything since, I just say yes to because I know that if I do it, uh, the young me who never thought that it was going to happen um, would at least be happy. Um, but yeah, it's all very bizarre. Were there any, any highlights in your live career? Any, any particular shows that stood out for you as extraordinary um 
the last headline show we played in London, which was a couple of years ago now, um, which is still the biggest headline show we've ever done. Um, and we had, um, my friend Luke came and played piano and John who plays saxophone on this album came and played sax. And I was in this really nice theater, like in a kind of cool part of London. Um, and like, that is like similar to you is very far away from where I live. Um, so it was just a cool thing to like get to play a nice venue with these people that I've met on the internet and made music with and have people come to the show. Uh, that was pretty special. Um, but even every time we tour seems to be a bit of a highlight, like depending the bands it's with or the cities we play, it's kind of so far everything feels special. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. So th this year there, there was something not, not so long ago, there was something interesting happening on, on MTV. Uh, <laughs> can you tell us what, what happened there? I mean, your, your music getting played on MTV in a very weird setting. Uh, how, how did you find out about it? And, and what did you think when you found out about it? <laughs> um, yeah, so must have been a couple of weeks ago now. A bunch of different people uh, had all messaged me this uh, live video of an artist called Doja Cat um, doing like a rock version of one of her famous songs for I think the MTV, like European MTV Awards. And everyone who sent it to me was like, did you know that your song is used in this? And I listened to it and it was kind of too similar to seem like a coincidence. Um, so I just messaged a bunch of people and then eventually found out that the musical director who made the arrangement um, is, well, says that he's a big fan of mine, so it wasn't a coincidence. Um, and I guess it's maybe it's normal in the pop world that you kind of just do things and don't ask questions and then whatever happens, happens. Um, so mostly I found it hilarious, uh, that this song that I'd written had ended up in that context. Um, and I guess my fans did most of the being angry for me in terms of like not being asked permission or anything. Um, and then eventually Doja Cat messaged me herself just to kind of apologize and thank me for not like making too much of a fuss myself and I think she had a good point that if the musical director was such a big fan of me why didn't he just hit me up to work on it together um so kind of it turned into a happy ending and I mean hopefully more crossover like this happens because I think it was a really cool performance yeah I think it was also not the first time that your music was used elsewhere I think there was also something with Selenium Forest back in the day. Um, yeah. I, I, also, I, um, I, I, talked, a... I talked with some some friends of mine about it and they were like, they, they, they don't understand you. You're always so calm about it. And, and like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. That was a rapper called Little Skies. Um, and whoever produced the song basically took a sample from my song Selenium Forest and used it for the whole beat, um, again, without permission. 
Um, and that's a bit of a different situation because the live performance isn't so, it's not really such a big deal in terms of like the copyright laws around it. But this was, yeah, it was, it was a one, one off thing, taken. you know, right? The, the, the yeah. live performance. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this sample was like pretty much the foundation for the whole instrumental side of the song. Um, so, and yeah, I don't, I don't um, particularly get angry by things like this because I started in the music industry just by myself, um, fumbling around trying to figure out what is what. Um, so this was a totally new experience and I eventually am now credited for it and I get some pathetic royalties uh, every few months. <laughs> all right. Um, so it worked out in the end and kind of now I know all the different legal terms involved when sampling and getting a sample cleared and stuff like that. And it actually happened again with the same sample and a different rapper. Um, and so the first time it happened, I was a little bit stressed because I was like, I have no idea what any of this means. But then the second time I knew exactly, like I basically copy and pasted the same email and sent it to their management. And they were like, Oh fuck, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, you just said you started out in the music business all by yourself and obviously also um, you're self-taught uh, with your guitar and stuff. Um, but still you get invited to do clinics and, and teach. And we were, <laughs> like last year, I, I, I read here that you've been invited to, um, to where is it in my email? <laughs> as a guest instructor at the Vi Academy last year and you've been teaching at Berkeley and where Musicians Institute and everywhere. Um, so is, is, is your self-taught technique uh, different to, to your colleagues that, that have like the academic upbringing? Um, are yeah, how, how do you approach teaching music when you 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 never, uh, yeah, you never experienced someone teaching it to you? <laughs> yeah, I think the thing that's fun for me is, uh, and I think the thing that is helpful to a lot of the students, if it's a music college or anywhere really, is that I come from no experience, which is usually where you are when you're just starting out doing a music degree. Um, so maybe unlike someone who's been like doing music professionally for 20 years or is like a formal educator, um, I remember really clearly what it's like not to know how to play, how, how to play guitar, how to record a song, how to release a song. Um, all that stuff is really fresh to me and I think the way I approach it is I try to make everything as fun as possible while also learning as much as possible um, and just trying to convey that to uh, whatever the particular clinic is. Um, so, yeah, I try and just remind people that music is something that's meant to be fun and make sure that's the number one priority. Cool. So... um 
with the broadcast, we also have always the accompanying playlist on Spotify because we don't play the music on the show. So what we do, what I do is always, of course, I put the singles from the new album that we, we've been talking about first. And then I also always put a little best of <laughs> together. Um, is there is there anything, any songs in particular that you think that should be there that could be both like the big hits, so to speak, but you could also uh, say uh, you you think this this or that song uh, is a little bit overlooked and and but you're still quite proud of it. Um. Let me think. Ooh. Maybe the song Paper Moon, just because it has uh, Jakub Zitetsky plays a guitar solo on it, and I think he's the best <laughs> guitarist, at least of my generation, if not of anyone alive. Yeah, I'll write that down and, and put, put put it into the place and I will listen again be, uh, definitely because uh, yeah I know I know Jakub and uh, I've seen him live with Dispersed a couple of times and uh, his solo album was very very interestingly not that guitar heavy <laughs> I think yeah. it was was it last year or two two years ago already so yeah. much so much new music um All right, I'm go I'm gonna put together a little best of what we also do. We uh, at the end of our show, we have a little section that we like to call "What's in Your Walkman," where I ask my guests what they've been listening to lately. So, is there anything you want to recommend to fans or listeners? Uh -huh. Just gonna check what I've been listening to on Spotify because I can't even remember what I was doing five minutes ago. <laughs> um, the album Addicted by Devin Townsend Project yeah, it was, it was Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin oh okay some old school um, stuff there <laughs> and actually this one maybe people won't know is an album called David Comes to Life by a band called Fucked Up I think they're Canadian like sort of punk band interesting Any any particular songs from these albums that I could put into the playlist? Uh, from the Devin Townsend Project, uh, let's go with Addicted, the title track. Yep. I just watched um, the new DVD like two days ago. I watched the DVD, the new DVD, um, Order of Magnitude <laughs> with a friend. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'll have to watch it. Um... From Led Zeppelin, let's say Over the Hills and Far Away. Yep. And from Fucked Up, the song Turn the Season. Turn the Season, all right. That that definitely will make for some um, variety also uh, vocally <laughs> in that playlist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But by the way, um, uh, as uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you you, you really like uh, music with vocals. Did you <laughs> did you ever think about like 
getting a vocalist or just having some yeah, guest I vocals think... like like yeah properly in the like as as a center of the song yeah that's i think that's what i'm going to focus on now like once the album's come out and i run out of things to do i think i'm going to start trying to write real songs for vocalists and then see what happens that's gonna be very interesting um i also got a couple of entries for uh today's what's in your walkman section and i and i kind of went with the with the instrumental uh and also a bit, little bit fusion theme one particular amazing new album debut album i think also from sydney uh, arcing wires put out uh, their debut album prime on art oh, okay. catharsis label and i'm gonna put the track nr gym on there it's my favorite on the album um, and also, we I, I, I kind of mentioned Aaron Marshall on, on the fly earlier. Interval's got a new album out, Circadian. Yeah. Uh, I still have to listen to the whole album, and so I don't know which song I'm going to put in the playlist yet. <laughs> have you heard it? String Theory. Yeah, String Theory is my favorite. Yeah, that, that was the oh. first first single, I think. Or first I think it was, uh, was the... Or the second... <laughs> Was one yeah, of the singles. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's got Marco Sfoli on it. Yeah, six song. Yeah, that's a great album. Um, without a guitar, um, we have a new um, EP from Sweden's Dirty Loops, and even though three of the five songs were have been out for quite some time, it's still so much fun to listen to them. And yeah, it's my favorite song still works shit out. It's just slaps so hard and it's just <laughs> yeah. instant, instant uh, joy and fun. And um, finally, I want to uh, give another shout out to my friends, uh, my French friends in Blue Wave Quartet, who put out their debut EP at the beginning of this year called Pony Club. And the last song on that EP is called Fifth Modality. Is also some sick stuff without guitar, but also instrumental and fusion. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, um, I will. I will put all of this in the playlist. And um, yeah, for now, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, have a great evening. I'm gonna start the rest of my day now. Um, thank you so much, Pliny, for being on the broadcast. All the best with your new album, Impulse Voices. And yeah, really curious about your next steps with or without the vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Nice to talk to you. And yeah, for uh, to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, take care of your loved ones, take care of yourselves and listen to great music. The Progcast is a production of Stuus Media and is presented by the Prog Space. It is produced by Randy M. Salo, Janine Stengel-Lewis, Blake Lewis, and Dario Albrecht. Our theme music is by This Is Not An Elephant, and Van Kirsch does our graphics. New episodes of the Progcast drop every Monday and Thursday. And don't miss our Friday Top 5 episode where we discuss our favorite new releases from that week. For more interviews and reviews in the written form, check out theprogspace.com.